Hey, welcome back everybody. This is the you need to know from AgVisor Pro and we're going to dig a little deep this week. We are going to dig a little deep. There, there's been a lot of questions and a lot of questions related to like the same concepts that have happened in the recent week. And so Jason and I were talking and thinking about that, like the Ligus bug question. We won't say we're experts on Ligus bug and canola, but some of the application stuff still holds true. The Delta T thing spraying during the heat of the day. So instead, like Jason said, we're digging a little deeper and there must have been a glitch on the app before an update or after an update or between updates. And I had screenshotted a few questions and realized how far back they were. So here we are in August, and I have a question that goes all the way back to January 2022. So we're, we're a few months ago on that. Let's just say this is eight months ago. We'll call this a throwback, but this is a great question because this is priming for what's coming up, and that's soil sampling and soil fertility. Oh, so I can't wait. Can't wait. Yes. So, so here's that question. Here you got a couple of agronomists tackling a soil fertility question. Looking at soil samples with high amounts of phosphate in our soil tests, wondering which micronutrients will have trouble getting into the plants. All micronutrients are in the sufficient levels. pH is in the 6.2 to 6.8 range. Hmm. Well, your uh, your pH is in your favor. Oh, you're like in the sweet zone when it comes to pH. That's a great uh, place to be. So that was that'd be looking at uh, a soil test result that's come back. Uh, if I had questions, that's one of the first places I go to. Is you know, are we pegging a seven nine or an eight point three or something like that? No, we're not in this case. It's like, oh my, this is ideal. And so, so if you that, think if you think all the way back to your soil science classes, your soils lab classes in college. And you've seen this chart where it shows all the nutrients. It, it goes from nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium through all the micronutrients. And it has that going on the, what would be the Y axis. And then the X axis, it's going to have the pH range. And so all the way on the right side will be your high pH, all the way on the left side, your low pH. And almost all the nutrients are at their highest availability. They'll have this thick bar right in the middle right where you're at that six to six, five range or mm-hmm. six to seven, let's just call it yep. or that 6.2 to 6.8. Holy crap. Like you are like in the sweetest spot. That's where everything will be the most available. So that's really going good for you. When you get into the high pHs, there's a lot of things that can tie up easier and you get into the low pHs. Obviously there's other things yeah. that will tie up easier, but to start out, that's a, yeah, you're on a growing medium right there. Like you couldn't ask for a better soil to be starting with. Yeah. So that's that's one of the first things when test results get back is you're going to kind of see uh, where that range is at. Generally, uh, your pHs don't fluctuate much at all. And uh, so that'd be a great scenario to be in. Uh, then probably the next place I'm going to check is, I mean, it was mentioned that the micronutrients are in that sufficient range but I st- I'm still going to look at all the numbers that are coming back in their parts per million just to see what that is because it doesn't it doesn't take big numbers to make them sufficient right but and I'm going to try to put that into context because the thing I'm going to go and, and look at uh, last or maybe it's first I don't know is is just what is high for phosphate I mean if we both 
were to not just write down a number, what we think is high, we might be fairly close, but I, we'll, we could have two different ideas as to what that is, too. Right, exactly. And it depends. Uh, when we talk just parts per million phosphate, at least where we are in North Dakota, and I would say a lot of the Western U.S. and into Canada, at least to Western Canada, we're going to be going off of an Olson phosphate test. And so those parts per million numbers are generally lower than what you would get with a Malik 3 or a weak or strong Bray. Yeah. And those numbers be higher. So that has to be put in context, too, when you're reading a soil sample or a soil test result. I'm very happy if I can get uh, to a double-digit number, 10, 10 or higher. That's kind of like, hey, that's awesome. But I have a lot of soils that come back there in the, oh, anywhere from 3 to three to 8. And that's just our type of soils. So when you run across something that has been heavily manured or uh, has had a lot of applications and all of a sudden, whoop, or it's a, a zone in a field that is uh, been farmed, but nothing grows on it because of its salinity. And all of a sudden you got like a 47 part per million phosphorus number. But we know that's not the case in this particular scenario because right. this has that soil pH that would tell us that this is a good area. Right. And, and so we know that it doesn't have salinity issues. We know it doesn't have other high pH issues, say like a calcium issue, a calcium carbonate issue. It's not a low pH issue like aluminum or iron tying up phosphate. You're just, again, right in that sweet zone. So there's another infographic. You can go on Google. You're going to find a hundred of these things. Type yep. in Mulder's chart. If you type in Mulder's chart, that basically gives you this sphere with all the nutrients that are important to crop production. And it's going to have arrows going back and forth between the, all these nutrients and how they interact. And some things are synergistic. Some things are antagonistic. So if you have high phosphate, and let's pretend this is a perfect world scenario and you have these perfect soils, well-drained, the pHs are right where they need to be, and you're high on phosphate, it can inhibit, you know, two or three nutrients. And and looking at that Mulder's chart, I mean, that's where it's going to help you understand. And in the first thing you ask anybody, any agronomist that's in the Midwestern U.S., you're going to ask, what do you do with your phosphate fertilizers? They add zinc. They yeah. add zinc to their phosphate fertilizer. It's it's almost like a, a peas and carrots, you know, kind of pairing. It's always going together. Um and the reason they do that is, again, looking at this Mulder's chart thing, is that phosphate can inhibit zinc, and too much zinc can inhibit phosphate. It's kind of a back-and-forth antagonistic relationship, and so you really need to apply in balance. And so that's that's the first thing without knowing any context, is that probably zinc. Yeah, and that is spelled M-O-U-L-D-E-R-S. So if you're going to look that up, but you're absolutely right. Someone says, yeah, my phosphate levels are really high in my field. The first thing that probably comes to mind is, oh, are you growing any crops like flax or potatoes or corn? Yep. That requires zinc because that's, that's like ding, ding, ding. That's right. It's, it's that context. Might, that's, it's us being agronomists, yeah. right? It's adding all the pieces together to wait it out to go, what's the most important thing? So if you're just growing any crop 
and you're just making a general recommendation, you could say, hey, yeah, if this molders chart, yeah, maybe this zinc thing's important. But what if you're growing a crop like wheat or canola or barley or something that really doesn't respond to zinc fertility, especially if you have adequate levels of zinc? Even if you had high phosphate and this antagonistic thing could happen, probably not a big deal. But you look at crops like flax and dry beans and corn, potatoes that are very sensitive to having enough zinc. Now you've made the combination high phosphate, super good availability, pH wise, sensitive crop. Boom. There. Now you need to be running probably some zinc in your program. Right. And it isn't just micros. There's interactions that occur with your your macros, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and your secondaries as well. So this chart's actually really good to kind of get an idea uh, because if you're doing complete analysis on, on fields, you're like, you know, I've been I've been putting on quite a bit of phosphate. I'm I'm still showing deficiency, and then maybe your calcium's showing you that holy buckets, we're off the charts on this too. Right, and, and maybe in some scenarios, you're you're a higher pH. This this example is kind of in that. Uh, cool zone, but that's the that's the complexity of interactions that happen in the soil with uh, all the nutrients that are, it takes to raise a crop. So it's uh, it's it's actually kind of interesting because it, it things can get explained sometimes um, on if you have complaints to look at that focus around fertility. It's always mm-hmm. good to have some of this background information on a lot of. You don't have to probably do a sample every year with a complete analysis, but it wouldn't hurt to do it, you know, every so often. Right. It, it doesn't hurt. And that's where complete analysis for soil and, and just having a tissue analysis in crop, not necessarily to make a in-season application decision off of, but using that as kind of a report card to say off of our soil analysis, we have what's in the tank. Well, what's actually getting drawn out in the crop? I mean, so that's that's important to know too. And you can yeah. get off in the rhubarb really fast with this Uh-oh. Mulder's chart. <laughs> yeah. You, it, it can, uh, yeah, it, it can get very controversial, very very yes. fast because there's a lot of interactions going on and there's a lot of things happening. And so, don't get caught up in the moment or get caught up in your. Uh, whatever you're believing is your issue is that that's how you need to act because we all tend as humans to look at that and go, Oh yeah, Holy crap. Okay. Phosphate does inhibit zinc. That's what I need to do. But then you start looking more and you're like, Oh, it can high phosphate could inhibit potassium and it could inhibit copper and it could inhibit some of these other things. And all of a sudden you're going, Oh no. Okay. What do I do? What do I do different? You know, am I doing the right things? And you can get overwhelmed pretty quick if you start to, try to chase all these rabbits, I guess, on, on these interactions and, and handle things. So again, that's where we were saying earlier is you, you got to kind of yeah. stack up, understand that those interactions happen, but then know there's other things that crops have certain needs and certain crops require, you know, more of certain micronutrients than others. So that's helpful to know. And, and the demand by certain crops is, can be fairly high at certain times where you can have I, for instance, I can put a lot of zinc on corn. I can almost always show you zinc deficiency in those fields mm-hmm. with corn. Almost every field is going to show it to some degree because there's the demand for uh, that nutrient at certain times for the crop is it's so high that no matter what you do, it just 
it can't do it. So that's, that's some of the complexity I, I, I like about just soil science is that it's, uh, and wet year, dry year, um, big yields, low yields. Uh, there's different interactions that occur too, but that's a great point. It, it brings up kind of a, you know, we've talked through some of these charts and I mean, another chart is, uh, if you've all ever seen the barrel with the staves in it and the staves mm-hmm. are all represented by different crop limiting nutrients, which if you think of all the nutrients that are important to crop production, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen are those two, but we don't fertilize with carbon, hydrogen, or oxygen, but we pay attention to those, right? Well, hydrogen and oxygen, you get two hydrogens and an oxygen. What do you have? H2O, that's water. That's right. Right there is your most limiting nutrient period that the crop needs. And so like you were saying, weather-wise, if you have a dry year or a too wet of a year, that influences nutrient availability. The other limiting thing is money. <laughs> Some <of these> prices. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Because look, look at where all these input costs have gone on, on fertility side. So that factors in greatly with things that you want to do. And then the other side of the coin is the things that you actually can do. So that really curbs uh, some of the stuff down. So it's, it's always uh, some of the discussions that are online with fertility are always interesting. And uh, we just thought, well, we're getting close to harvest coming off. If we got a lot of crop leaving the field, we're going to lose some nutrients. We're going to have to replace. It's time to get out and start doing some soil sampling and uh, prepping for the 23 crop already. So this yes. is a great question to pop up in the... Uh, it, in it was the, a great throwback to see again and a great primer and a reminder that the cheapest thing you can do... Or, or the best return on investment you can have on the farm is to take a soil sample and know mm-hmm. where are you starting in the gas tank for the season. And then you can start to layer in everything else as far as crop sensitivity, how those nutrient relationships could influence what you actually need to fertilize with. What's the fertilizer cost? You know, what's your physical time you know, to actually get some of these things done at the correct timing if you're yeah. uncovering, you know, that this needs to be done. So it all starts with a relatively inexpensive soil analysis. It's got to start there. Yep. yep. And and with that season coming up and harvest coming off, I hope we get some more of those questions that come in because there's, there's a lot of good resources on this app to uh, address some of those things. And it's, there's so many different scenarios. Uh, spell those out in detail. It'd be fun to get some uh, more questions like this as we, as we go along and, and uh, see if how things match up from a soil analysis. It, you, know, you get good moisture analysis when you're outside soil sampling too. And then the crop that came off. So we have an idea of what's going to happen this next year. So fire away on those questions. Yes, and be specific because there are experts from the prairies of Canada all the way down to the southern United States, and they all represent very different places in agriculture, different soil types, different cropping systems, different climates. But there's a lot of really, really smart people on here. And if you're specific with the question, those people are going to jump on and go, hey, I know how to answer this. And they're going to give you an answer. Yep. Or their experience. So that's 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 yep. the fun part of this app. It's like, oh, never thought of that. Tons of fun. So everyone, that's the we need to know this week. We'll see ya. 